Let me read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, and then verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, and then verse 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The title given to me today is Season of Love, and rightly so, in this advent, we talk a lot about the themes of joy, love, and peace. And theme of love is largely about the love of God when He gave us His only Son. And on Christmas Day, we remember fondly and gratefully for the love of God incarnated in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The day to remember His tremendous love for you and me by giving His life for all of us. And love to us mean different things. Today in the world, love can mean many, many things. I love my dog. I love hot dog. I love presents. I love ice cream. I love you. You love me. And all kinds of love can be expressed in many, many ways, a great variety of ways. Until we perhaps don't really appreciate as much what the sacrificial love of God really means. And it's occasion like this that we are able to reflect together on this passage what love really is. And if I look at the Oxford Dictionary, which I did, about what love is defined as, the Oxford Dictionary gave three different things about love, depending on the context within which love is expressed. Firstly, the dictionary defined love as a strong feeling of affection. So that's the first one. The second is defined as a great interest and pleasure in something. Thirdly, a person or thing that one loves. So defined, understood in that way, it gives us a sense that love is actually an emotion. It's a set of feelings, interests, pleasure, delight, love. So love, in fact, understood in this way, helps us to know that love is actually a feeling as much as it is an act of love. Because 1 Corinthians tells us quite a lot that love is actually an action word. And while we would want to express acts of love, I think the feeling of love is also important. Now, for some of us, Christmas is a happy occasion. It's a lovely, derby 
occasion for us to express our love and appreciation for people that we're indebted to. But for some of us, maybe it is a difficult season because they find it very hard to love the ones they find them unlovable. And sometimes they even may have to so-called bite the bullet and get on with it. And sometimes Christmas giving is really a pain, not so much of joy. So does that make us hypocritical? Later on, we have a chance to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see how he answered that question. Because Paul the Apostle himself also encountered such an issue in his journey of ministry. But for now, I just want to look at how, as Christians, we ought to look at the way Paul defines love. The first thing he helped us to notice is that love is the more excellent way. Love is the more excellent way. In the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, I will show you the most excellent way. There are many ways that the Corinthian Christians are attracted to or they love to have. And one of which, the things they love to have in the life of the church then is to have the charismatic gifts, the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy, you name it, as you have experienced here in this country, even then at that time, they were so engulfed with such passion to want to have all these gifts. And they prize all these gifts as far greater than love itself. Maybe they didn't notice it. They were head over heel in love with spiritual gifts, how they could minister to people, how they could bless people, how they could make the gospel richer and more powerful. But then Paul asks a very fundamental question. Let me show you a far better way, a more excellent way than what you have experienced up to this point. Paul acknowledges that they have this great passion or charismatic gifts. But Paul instead concentrates on love. And Paul does not see love as a gift. Love to Paul is not a gift. It's given, not that we have to claim and seek God to give us the gift of love, but Paul is in fact saying, we do not need the gift of love to love. It's not a gift. We don't have to pray until the cow comes home and say, I don't have the gift of love, so therefore I cannot really love a person. And Paul challenges that, that all the charismatic gifts that you have and you want and you possess right now, good for you. But let me show you a better way, a more excellent way, the way of love. So we can, what we can read from there is that you and I may not be as gifted as we would like to be. Or some of us may be very gifted and very talented. We're always amazed when someone is talented. We are so elevated by it, by pride and joy. When we talk about talented singer, talented pastor, a preacher, a worship leader, we are so glad they are so talented. But then Paul says, what about love? 
Because when Paul accentuates love as the most excellent way, then Paul is in fact saying that the Corinthians Christians actually got it wrong. That the Corinthian Christians have having been having gifts that are actually quite worthless when they are doing all this ministry without the essential main love, component of love. Because once we understood what Paul intends to communicate, the Corinthian Christians are without excuse not to love one another. And Paul in Corinthians 13 mentioned this and he compares love to the gifts of tongue, to prophecy, and concludes at the end to say that love is an act of charity. Now, for some Christians, they may be convinced that love is an act, it's a sense of emotion. If I feel good, I do it. But there's also another, some Christians who would think rather this way, especially those who are fairly pragmatic, very solution-focused. They rather not want to feel it, they want to just do it. Hold the bulls by its horn. Grit your teeth. Statements like this, or just a British way of saying, get on with it. So they are not so much interested in attending to their emotions. They say, no, no, no. Just do it. You, you'll be okay. So like what Peter Coy, a New York Times writer, says this, that the conventional wisdom was that people should use the rational part of their brains to control the emotional part. Pure reason, he argues, would suppress impulsiveness, greed, lust, allowing people to save for retirement, stick to a diet plan, and stay faithful to their spouses and go to church regularly. But then he further explains that, in fact, increasingly, Scholars have come around to the idea that, in fact, a more effective way to combat negative emotions is with positive emotions. It is, in fact, less stressful too because you're feeling good while doing good. And I'm saying this because some Christians would rather be uncomfortable with emotions. They don't like that feeling. So they rather ignore it, suppress it, and just cut it away if they can. And they just carry on doing it by the power of the human will. But I'm afraid sometimes they've gone to the extreme, ignoring the emotions, the good emotions of love, of kindness, which Paul describes quite a lot about those emotions. And so what I want to say here is that this more excellent way, or most excellent way, is not the way only of the mind, but it's also of the heart. And as Christians, we need to make that connection. So during this season of Christmas, there may be relationships that is hard to manage because we don't feel very good about it. Rather than ignoring it, we need to attend to our emotions and name the emotions for a start. What is it that we are feeling? What is it that we are feeling? I think that's important. 
And then the act can come a bit later. Because we need to be complete as a person, as best as we could, to be genuine and authentic in the way we express acts of love. Because Paul makes it very clear to the Corinthian Christians, without love, all your gifts are worthless. But Paul went on to say a little bit more than just the most excellent way of love. He went on to talk about the nature of love. And this is from verses 4 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul in it points out how little the Corinthian Christians are measuring up. Paul mentioned love in four parts in these few verses. The first has got two positive assertions. Paul says, love is gentle. Love is patient. And then he went on to the second part to describe seven negative affirmations about love. Paul says, love is not envious. It is not boastful, nor conceited, nor rude, selfish, touchy, keep no record of wrongs. The third part in verse 7, Paul then pair love with sin. He says it this way, love does not gloat over other people's sin, but rather delights in the truth. And finally, in the fourth part, Paul talks about the positive nature of love. He says, love sustains everything, embraces everything, hopes everything, and holds its own against everything. So when Paul makes such punchy statements, and as listeners, Paul would want us to reflect upon the words that we hear when he uses those words to describe the nature of love. In fact, this is a very Jewish way of teaching wisdom. In Paul's day, he would have employed this skill to just read short, punchy sentences, and allowing the listeners to hear it and reflect upon it in response to the reading of Paul's letter. And this is how it was done. And I hope that later on we have an opportunity to listen again, worded differently, and help each one of us to reflect, how does that feel for me? When Gilbert read, love is kind, how does that sit with you? How does that sound to you? I hope there will be an opportunity at the end of my sharing for us to do just that. So once we take verses 4 and 7 together as one segment of Corinthians 13, what we see is that love is portrayed as selfless, seeking the good of other first and foremost. And elsewhere, Paul also talks about the importance of expressing God's love for other people. Take, for instance, Romans chapter 15, the first seven verses. 
We who are strong, says Paul, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So you see here in seven verses, Paul says that love is what God in Christ has shown to us and done for you and I. And we in turn do it for others who are are helpless, who are in a very difficult state of life. In love, we take God's side. We share God's outlook and we implement His design and we treat our neighbours as we experience God has treated you and I. So the nature of love remains the greatest because it is the most fundamental, essential and crucial to poor understanding of Christian living. So whatever you and my services in the name of Christ are, love must be present in them. In that way, we will please God and what we do for God in the name of love will have permanent and eternal value. For us here in this church, it's imperative for us to ask ourselves if what we do for the sake of the gospel is done in love. So what is it that you and I value in this church? What is it? Is a question that you may want to consider. As I move into my last and final point, is Paul really a hypocrite? Why? Because one of the interesting things I've discovered in one of his letters is that Paul has got difficulty loving difficult people. Just in case you think that Paul is a superman, he is not. He's made of the same stuff as you and I are made of. Because it's interesting that in Corinthians 13, love well, is a very powerful concept and experience in Paul's life. There was hardly any mention, in fact, no mention of Christ, no mention of God, or no mention of enemies, just love. And sometimes we know as very realistic people, we know that it's not like that. It's true that Paul uh, crafts a very ideal picture of love, super ideal that most of us would think, well, good for you, but not for me. But I have to say that uh, Paul does, I'm sure, remembers the teaching of Jesus 
especially in the Gospels, of how Jesus teaches his disciples to love our neighbours as God loves them. So for Paul, I believe that he ground chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians in the fact that it is Jesus himself who is the example. And Paul himself did not live consistently to his teaching in his encounter with one very important figure in the New Testament, the high priest Ananias. And if you, can, if you have the Bible, you can turn them to Acts chapter 23, the first five verses. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that I was, it he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So here we find that Paul had a very difficult encounter with this high priest Ananias. Now, Ananias is not a nice man. Uh, historically, he's a very, very difficult man. Uh, even though he was a high priest. And uh, he was known for his brutality. He was known to be a very uh, scheming person. And he has used violence very liberally. And he's, he was also a very greedy man for wealth and power and material gain. It was recorded in, historically that he even confiscated the tithing and give it to the Romans and the Jewish uh, officials by passing the priests that were supposed to get the tithing because it was their salary. So he was that kind of man. And so he was not an easy man to get along with, to, work, to, to even work with, and to come under him is even more difficult. But Paul defended his credentials and say that I have fulfilled God's purposes in my life. And that made Ananias very angry. And he was ordered to be struck on the mouth. And then Paul lashed out at him with great anger and fury and accused Ananias for breaking the law himself. He should have safeguarded Paul's innocence until he has been proved guilty. So in that sense, Paul seems out of character, isn't it? A man who preached about love, no record of wrongs, patient, but there you are, a man who has preached and wrote and written so much, and yet he seems out of character for a follower of Christ. Paul seems to have lost his composure, at least momentarily. Now, I'm not saying that we are excusing Paul's outburst of anger at this point, but he was quick to acknowledge his wrongdoing. He admitted he, he was wrong. Now, I mentioned this is not to run down Paul. By no means I'm doing that. But what I'm saying is that we, 
here are made of the same stuff as Paul himself is, human flesh, and we are weak. And therefore, I hope that his provocation, even though it was very great and most of us would not be in that kind of situation as he was at, he was in, but it does suggest to us that we, like Paul, also need to work on it through prayers and reflection in the life of how we respond to provocative situations like this. So Paul was certainly not flawless in his application of love. And I pray that his example would encourage us to not give up doing good, despite the mistakes we have made and will make along the way. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let me just go back to the very beginning, the importance of emotions and actions. By looking at that Jesus, who himself gave us the great example, and yet Jesus did not swing to one extreme or the other. He is not full of emotions, or he's just full of action. Jesus was both and is both. For example, if Jesus was all loving, you could even read the gospel and realize that he cleared the temple in righteous anger. Or he unleashed anger against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day in Matthew chapter 23. So what I'm saying here as I start back from where I started, the love is of course, a set of emotions, but it's also acts of love. And we have to hold this together to make both emotions and acts coherent as much as we know how and we grow with it. And let me end with this example from another writer, Carson Y. Newer, from his recent e-letter, Reasons for God. And I invite you to close your eyes as I read this and I'll end with a prayer. Love is patient. Who will need your patience this year? Love is kind. How could you show consideration for someone else's needs? Love does not envy. How can you be pleased with someone else's contributions? Love is not boastful. How might you be tempted to show off this year? Love is not arrogant. How can you serve in a self-forgetful way? Jesus, God is not rude. Who might tempt you to be rude? Love is not self-seeking. How can you restrain yourself? Love is not irritable. What topics might rub you, you the wrong way?
Love does not keep a record of wrongs. What bad habits do you need to forgive from previous interaction with your family or friends? Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. What bad habits do you need to put aside? Love rejoices in the truth. Where can you find common ground with others at the table? Love bears all things. How can we overlook the flaws of others? Love believes all things. How can we look for the good in others? Love hopes all things. What are you praying that God will do in your life? Love endures all things. How will we be faithful to God even in difficulty? Let us pray. O oh God, rise up, we pray, your power, and come among us, and with great might succor us, that whereas through our sins and wickedness we are grievously hindered in running the race that is set before us, your bountiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory now and forever. Amen.